And help me welcome our internet audience. Glad you guys are with us tonight. Peace to your house. You may be seated. Well, thank you all for coming out. I heard it's raining out there. And, um, and you came. But how many of you know that most of you with your job, if it rains, you're still going to go? Okay. Or somebody said, hey, I want to buy you a meal and it's raining, you're going to go, right? So I'm glad you came. And we do believe that church days affect the rest of our days. Amen. All right. Smile at your neighbor. Make sure everybody's happy and good and awake and all that. All right. We're going to get into the word tonight. Anybody love the word of God? Hey, if the Bible's boring to you, you're doing it wrong. And if prayer is boring to you, you're doing it wrong. And uh, so we're just endeavoring to find out more and more of God's truth. We're in a series called Believe, and uh, we'll probably be in that the rest of this year and, and most likely next year even. And what we're talking about is, is systematic theology. And, and, and don't worry, that's not too heady for us. It's just what does the Bible teach? Theology is, is a study of God and the things of God. And so what does the Bible teach? And systematic theology puts those kind of in categories and does kind of a scoop through the Bible to see you know, what do we believe? And it's important for us as believers. Any, any believers here tonight? Okay, good. All right. Uh, I'd rather be a believer than a doubter. Okay. It's important for us to believers, uh, for us as believers to not just say we're a believer. It's very important. And I'm phrasing this to you again and again and again. It's important that we know what we believe, that we know why we believe it, and that we're able to articulate what we believe so that we're not just, you know, caught flat footed. And it's like, well, I believe, but don't ask me what all I believe. I can't explain it. Um, because God has set this out in clear terms in his word. And I think that we are to worship and serve God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our, our mind. And, uh, I think it's okay to be clear in our mind. Uh, Peter told us to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us and to be able to do that in, in explainable ways and to do it with respect and to do it with kindness. And I feel the better grip you have on things, the less defensive you'll be on, on things. Amen. Well, last week we talked about Jesus as the master teacher, master communicator. And what I want to do tonight is talk about Jesus as the master storyteller. And we're going to get into the parables, not just for tonight, but for a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the parables and how they work. And they're incredible. Everybody say incredible. And uh, we're slowing down a little bit in this portion because this is so vital. Uh, we're going to see how so many things that we believe are just interwoven into not only what Jesus taught, but how he taught. And I also think that there's some... Uh, some things to be gained for each of us in how we share what we believe through how Jesus shared uh, in, the, in the parables. First of all, uh, depending on how you categorize it, and there's no one number on this that I can find that anybody agrees on, but there's between 40 to 50 parables. And there's different categories there. And, you know, some real definitive, and they'll say there's 46 or there's, you know, this many, that many. Um, that's really not something to worry about. Just know this, that about uh, over two-thirds of Jesus' teachings that are recorded. How many of you know by recorded, I mean written down? Okay. We don't have, like, actual audio. Okay. Um, but if you send in an offering, we'll get one. No, no. <laughs> Not, not, 
But um, about two-thirds of his teaching is done in parables. As a matter of fact, about three-quarters of the Bible, 75% of the Bible, is in story form. And so we somehow respond to this. We're kind of wired uh, for this. So let's look, look a little bit about some of the Proverbs, or excuse me, parables. Uh, sometimes Jesus would use several parables. Uh, it's kind of like a verbal collage almost to, to paint something. Here we see in uh, Matthew 13, verse 3, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he, he launched into one of, one of the parables there. Also, sometimes parables were really, really short. And this is why some people say it has to be this long or that long or have this in it to be a parable. And we'll get to a definition here in a moment. But sometimes they're really uh, short. Here, look in Luke six thirty nine, And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And that was it. And that's a, a parable. And there's some truths to be gained out of that. And then other times he would put parables back to back to back. And uh, in doing so, one example of that is the kingdom. Everybody say the kingdom. And the kingdom is probably the central thing that Jesus taught. We're going to read a a little bit of a passage here, and we'll look in Mark chapter 4. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if, okay? Now, let me just stop right there. Is as if. Um, A parable is a metaphor. It's a simile. It's a comparison, okay? So he's, the kingdom of God is as if, and then he's going to launch into this parable is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Now, I'll just drop this in real quick. They're in an agrarian, an agriculture, uh, agricultural uh, society. Uh, people fully understood this. And should sleep by night, seed in the ground, should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, don't change verse yet. Don't. (laughs) But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, he started out, the kingdom of God is like this. And then he tells them something they totally know. And he doesn't just say it's, it's like farming. He went through and explained some things kind of line by line. So he has them totally drawn in there. Okay, now we can go to the next verse. Then he said, everybody say, then he said. Then he said, to what shall we liken the what? Well, he just told them. But now he's trying to draw another picture. He says, or with what parable shall we picture it? And that's important that we picture it. It is like a mustard seed. I thought it was like farming. Well, he's given us another picture. It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. And so, and there are several other parables that he would use to describe the same thing, the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus used parables because they were effective. Everybody say effective. He used them because they were effective. And his audience was really familiar with what we'll call parabolic teaching, so parables. So his audience is really familiar with that. Jesus lived and ministered in Palestine. And his audience was largely Jewish. 
And much of their culture, their lore, their education, all of that was just loaded and laced with parables, or let me put it to you this way, stories. And then if you look at rabbinic writings, so the rabbis and their works and their writings and their teachings, they were just chock full of pictures or parables. And so Jesus, uh, they were readily received. So he wasn't coming in with some new math or something. He was coming in with something, God forbid, new math, huh? You know? So anyway, back to our story. Um, so they were familiar with this. And so that it was readily accepted. But the same is true of us. It's readily accepted with us. And I'm going to illustrate that for you in, in a little bit. And it's a, an incredible way, okay? Now it's coming down to you. It's an incredible way also for you to share what you believe. And you'll, you'll see it as, as we go along here. But the main reason that Jesus used parables is because they're effective. And let me tell you why they're effective. Parables are effective because they produce retention. That means you can remember. Everybody say remember. You can remember them. Um, we are more wired, get this, we are more wired for story than we are for concept. We're more wired for story, for picture, than we are for concept. And so it's brilliant. It's masterful for Jesus, the master storyteller. And for you, if you're going to be an effective communicator, to be able to take a concept but load it up in a story. And when you do that, you're a, that, that concept is able to travel. Now, we can receive concept, but how many of you know it is more interesting for us uh, how many of you would rather watch the movie than read the book? Okay. And my wife would rather read the, read the book, but my wife is a maven. Everybody say maven. Do you know what a maven is? A maven has to tell you what they just learned. So I don't have to read the books. And she'll read for a few hours out on the front porch and then she'll come down, sit and then tell me the story. Okay. But what happens in our mind when we read a book or somebody tells us the story? What do you, and those of you that read the book and then go see the movie, you oftentimes enjoy the book better. Do you know why? It's because it's your imagination. You know, in your mind, that person didn't look like that. That guy's a geek. In my mind, he was handsome. You know? And, and so we're wired more for story. We're wired more for picture than we are concept. Pastor Rick Warren says this, it is a sin to bore people with the Bible. And I think to add to that is if we just give concept, you know, justification and sanctification, and eschatology, and you, know, you, you just go through that. It's like, can we go do something else? Can Alicia tell us about the story she just read? <laughs> you know? All right. Uh, we better retain, and, and see, a parable is effective because it produces retention. We can remember it. We can remember it. And it is better retained. We better retain a concept if it's connected to, to a story. Um, when we were in elementary school, go back to K-5, go back to first grade. Can y'all remember? Okay. All right. Do you remember? I'll just go to Skeen Elementary School, 
in Leesburg. And across the front, over the chalkboard, do y'all know what a chalkboard is? Okay. Uh, across the chalkboard were letters, and a big A and a little A, and then a picture of a what? And then a big B and a little B and a picture of a what? Ball. And then a big C and a little C, and then a what? A cat. And then a big D and a little D, and then a what? A donut. Donut. I don't know where you went to school. All right. So what, what did that do for us? We were able to retain an A because of a apple, something that we knew, something that we could see, something that we had handled, touched, tasted, liked them or not. We knew what it was and a ball and a cat and a dog or donut and, you know, and on all the way down through. All right. Then we go to children, put your reading stuff up and it's time for math and we're going to learn addition and we go Johnny had uh, one apple and then Sally came with two apples and gave them to Johnny now how many apples does Johnny have are y'all studying this (laughs) does anyone have the answer because I'm stumped up there no it's three okay now what what happened if you just give concept if you just give concept one plus two is three now, we, got, we have that now, but what broke that in for us? What happened with, with that is we literally had parable, story, picture that came in to help us learn to spell, that helped us. We are wired more for story and picture than we are for concept, but we must have concept. And so the way to carry truth into us is through story. And Jesus is the master storyteller. And so bear that in mind as we look at the parables. Let's, let's define a parable here for a moment. Uh, it's an illustration or narrative of common life. Everybody say common life. Conveying a moral or spiritual lesson. A Sunday school definition would be, would be this, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's not entirely uh, contain all of that, but that kind of gives us the idea. Here's another uh, getting to the meaning of parable from the language is this, is to compare or lay aside of, to compare or lay aside of using one thing to cast light on another thing. Um, Part of the word for parable also would include this idea uh, to stump or uh, let me bring it out this way rather than go into all the words. It's almost like bait and switch. It's almost like a bait and switch. So what it is, is you almost trick somebody with your story into hearing a concept. Do you, you see what I'm saying? And so you almost, not in a negative, bad way, but you almost, you can teach your children things principles and so forth. Do you remember uh, Children's Highlights, the magazine? Do you remember two guys, their brothers, Goofus and Gallant? Does anybody, come on, please. I'm not the only old guy here. Okay. And one brother, Gallant, he had manners and work ethic and all that. And then his brother, Goofus, was messy and disrespectful and naughty you know, 
And, and what you would do, and I can remember going to, I don't think we ever got the magazine. My mom was cheap. But, um, <laughs> but when you go to the doctor's office or whatever, you could read them in the waiting room. And I'd always tear out the card and my brother and I'd fill it and send it in and mom would cancel it. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I'd always go and read that. And you know what? It was like these two brothers. And then what did you do with the brothers? You became one of them. You know, you identify with somebody and hear a story, a little story would trick you into a moral, into a concept. And so you, you would see gallant bad, or excuse me, goofus bad, gallant good. Are y'all still with me? Yes. Okay. Uh, Jesus used down to earth real life stories that everybody could relate to. And by these, he gave great truths, deep theology in simple, concise, memorable ways. And that's what happens with, with a, a parable. Um, he used, he talked about family life, relationships, agriculture, business, weddings, feasts, the rich, the poor, governments, kings, salt, light, candles, trees. He talked about all kinds of things. And, and he used those to convey uh, these stories and these truths. What he would do is get the attention of his audience, and then he would give them something they could relate to, and then he would load that up with and bring them in contact with some kind of kingdom truth. Now, how many of you were here Sunday? No, you're not in trouble if you, if you weren't, but how many of you were? Okay. On Sunday, I shared with you a story. Uh, I was talking about how uh, God wants to redeem us. And he said, I will redeem you. And we talked about the meaning of that word redeem really had to do with to put back, to bring back, is to restore. And then I used this idea back to factory settings. Okay. And then I used this parable. And I said that my son Gabriel, who's 14, is just kind of a whiz. And he has, anybody remember? A Rubik's. You remember this? And the Rubik's Cube, when it's perfected, when it's done, it's green on one side, blue on one side, yellow, orange, red, you know, whatever. And it's got all those, all the colors are just right. And he had left one of those in the drink, in the cup holder in my car. And then when I went to pick him up from school or cross-country practice or something, it's sitting in there and I'm waiting on him. (laughs) And so I start messing with it. And I messed it up. Now, and it's a parable. And I've said that I messed it up and there is no way I could get it back. You could hold a gun on me. And I'm going to, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to shoot. Because I can't, I couldn't do it. Unless I cheated and peeled off the deals, you know, or, or whatever. But then when he gets in the car, I go, uh kind of messed it up because I see that. And before we got, I mean, to the interstate from here, because I took my mess that I could not fix myself no matter what and put it back in the hands of a master. What is that? A parable. And you, you what? You remembered it. And see, that's what Jesus did with these. And we're going we're gonna to look at these tonight and, and for a couple more weeks here. It helps you to remember. It helps you to retain. And the goal, okay, Jesus used parables because they're effective. 
They're effective because they help you to retain, okay? And here's the goal. You ready for the goal? Everybody don't miss this. The goal is life change. The goal is life change. And life change happens. You ready for this? Life change happens when truth meets application. When you take a truth and you apply it. But guess what? You can't apply a truth that you don't remember. Y'all hear? You cannot apply a truth that you don't remember. And the great thing about a parable, you may even forget the point. You may even forget the concept. But if you remember the story, you can go back into the story and draw it back out again. Because the story carries the truth. Are y'all with me? Okay, and so you might forget redeem or whatever, but you can go back to the Rubik's Cube story. You can go back to to any of Jesus' parable and and it's going to carry that. So the goal is what? Life change. Say it, life change. So what Jesus had in mind, he's looking at the people, is life change. Life change. His truth, if you come to know the truth, the truth will do what? Set you free and that's what he came to do. That's what he came to do is to set them free. So I have to get this truth to them. I have to get it. They are going to have to live it out. Just hearing it doesn't do it. Retaining it, carrying it away and applying it in your life, that produces life change. But you're not going to be able to do it. It's like me with algebra homework. You know, you're in class. What am I telling you right now? What am I telling you right now? A parable, a story. I'm in algebra class and I'm, I just sat near girls cause they're, well, they were pretty and they were smart. And, and that helped me to halfway survive, you know, algebra, but because I couldn't remember these things, why couldn't I remember them? Because I didn't understand them. And so if you can get understanding on something, the story helps you to do that. You can retain it and then you can go home and you can do your homework. You can apply it. Okay, so life changes the goal, but life change is not going to happen if we don't apply the truth and we're not going to apply the truth if we, if we can't remember it. Look at this in Matthew 13. Are you still out there? Matthew 13, verse 11 through 13 in the message paraphrase, he replied and he's explaining one of the parables here. You've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everyone has this gift, this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, Jesus said, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. And so what he was doing there is using these stories to create this readiness for them. And that's the, that's the beauty and the power of this. We're going to look uh, just in brief tonight at probably one of the m- most well-known, most taught parables. And it's the prodigal son. Prodigal son. How many of you have heard the prodigal son? Okay. Uh, it's only found in Luke's gospel, but it's, it's just a masterpiece. And we're going to look at something, and I want us to carry the truth out of it tonight. I want you to get the story, but I want us to carry the truth out of this. And this, if this doesn't touch you, you are Teflon. In brief, there's a story of a son, 
and he dishonors his father. He goes away with his inheritance. He squanders it. Uh, He eventually comes back home, but he comes back home defeated, depleted, guilt, shame, humbled. There's a difference in humbling yourself and being humbled. I think he ended up humble because he had been humbled. But when he came home, his dad came out and said, boy, get off my property. Y'all remember that one? I'm sorry, that was on Bonanza. Uh, Okay, when he came home, now follow the story here. Who met him? His dad. And his dad met him open-armed, ran to him, fell on his neck, began to rejoice, forgave him, restored him, gave him a Rubik's Cube. Now, he put a ring on his finger and a robe on his back, sandals on his feet. They, they fired up the grill. They had a celebration. He said, my son who was dead is alive again and he's, and he's home. And so the central theme of that parable, although we refer to it as the prodigal son, Jesus didn't name it the prodigal son. The central theme is a loving father. Okay, that's the theme. That's the picture that Jesus wanted to get across. But we're going to look into the setting, which is real important here in a moment. We're going to look into the setting of how did he get that truth across of this this loving father, full of mercy, full of love, full of forgiveness. And, And just time out, bookmark real quick. I hope you know, I hope you know that your heavenly father is full of love and mercy and forgiveness even when you have blown it on purpose. Are y'all hearing me? And he's not going to say, boy, stop right there. Stay off my property. What's your heavenly father's posture? Uh, It's open arms. He's looking for you every day. You need to know this central kingdom truth that your heavenly father, say my heavenly father, you need to know that he loves you, that he's merciful, that he's forgiving, and he is excited Whenever you come back to him, listen, if you blow it, never hide from God. Only the enemy would trick you into hiding from your heavenly father. He's just waiting to love you and restore you and get, get you back on track. Can I get an amen on that tonight? But their secondary, that's the main theme. But the secondary thing is this, is, is these two brothers, And we're going to look at why he even brought them up. He could have told another story. And this is all in Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11 through 32. You can read that later, okay? Later, because I want to show you some things now. Um, Jesus being a master communicator, and I think we do well to study him um, as pastors and staff. We do some presenter lab things because we believe this that this message is the greatest message on the planet. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the teachings of the word of God are the greatest message on this planet. And so I feel like we need to be the best communicators that we possibly can. So we study some of those things. And the master communicator, the model, is Jesus. And one of the things that makes him the master communicator is this. He always knew his audience. He always knew his audience. He knew who was there. He knew who he was speaking to. And so that's really important. How many of you know that if one of my professors at seminary 
uh, came to do to be in children's church here, he probably needs to tone it down. Okay? Or if Pastor Joe from NBC Kids here goes to my seminary to teach some people, he probably needs to simmer. Okay? And use some different words. Are, are, y'all, are y'all following me here? And you have to know your audience. Jesus knew his audience. He knew his audience better than any of us would because sometimes he answered his audience's thoughts. Wouldn't that be amazing if somebody at work or something, you go, oh yeah? Well, let me tell you something. And you're able to answer their thoughts. So he knew way better than we ever will. But watch this. His audience, when he told the parable of the prodigal son, just because that's what it's, Man has kind of called that, but Luke chapter 15. His audience was a real mix of tax collectors and sinners. Everybody say outcast. And Pharisees and scribes. Okay? And these are the religious professionals. These are the experts. And so we've got these outcasts and we've got these religious uh, somebodies. And that's his audience. Look in Luke 15, verse 1 through 3, and this is before he tells the parable. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners, these are the bad guys, boo, here's the reality. It's us, okay? Okay. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. It's amazing that the people that were least like Jesus liked Jesus the most. But think about the religious people. They were constantly at odds with him and picking at what he was doing and asking questions and trying to upset him. And they were the ones behind ultimately his his murder. But it's amazing that the people that least like him liked him the most. And so they drew near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke because of that. He spoke this parable to them. So here's what happened. He saw what was going on. Uh, Jesus is referred to three, if not four times in the gospels as a friend of sinners. Will y'all look at me just for a moment? How many of you are believers again? Amen. How many of you are following Jesus? You better, you better have some friends that are sinners. I don't think y'all heard me because I didn't hear back from you. You'd better have some friends that are sinners. If you're just all hoity-toity and all holy and clean and you got your four holy professional religious friends, you're missing the point. Now, they're not to be the influence of your life. You're not to be getting your answers from them, but you are to be salt and light. And Jesus was a friend of sinners. And the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious experts, hated that. And so they begin to out loud complain about that. And guess what? Because of the setting, uh, it indicates to us that they complained about him hanging out with them in front of them. He said, he's hanging out with sinners. And, and so they're complaining about this. So he answers that by telling this parable. He seized the opportunity, and he not only told one parable, he told three parables. He talked about the lost coin, and the lost sheep, and then the lost son. 
all right in a row. Um, I'm going to read something for you. Um, This is from a paper I had to write, and it deals with this, and I'm going to do better to just read what I took my time to write than to convey this, and it will help us time-wise to be real concise on this. In response to their complaining, Jesus relayed first through the parable of the lost sheep that God rejoices over the repentance of one sinner, likely meaning those outcasts with whom he had been fellowshipping, rather than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance, indicating the religious professionals and experts who seem to congratulate themselves over their self-achieved righteousness. In the same way, the prodigal son, and that's the third parable there, represents tax collectors and sinners. The prodigal son represents the tax collectors and sinners. While the older brother, do you remember the older brother in the story? What do we remember about him? He stayed home, did the work, right? But what happened when brother came home? Did Did he love it? No, he's all upset about it, okay? And so let's go back here. The older brother represents the Pharisees and the scribes. The prodigal son is not just about the lost son, but perhaps more about the loving father. In reality, the parable reveals there are, you ready for this? There are two lost sons. The prodigal son is lost, and it's obvious to him and to all who hear the story. He represents us. He represents tax collectors and sinners. The parable also points to the older brother. He represents the Pharisees and scribes, self-righteous and complaining, follow this, who remained at home but are actually strangers to their father's heart. They were equally lost but not aware of it, blinded by their good deeds and their keeping of the law. The tax collectors and sinners, however, fully aware of their sin. Anybody here fully aware of your sin? Fully aware of their sin and lost state could see once again a view of a loving and forgiving father who was watching and waiting for them to come home. Isn't that amazing? And what Jesus did, he's loaded with truth. He's loaded with truth. I don't think Jesus was sitting aside studying in the library part of the synagogue, preparing a message on the prodigal uh, son. He came to show us the father. Do you remember that? He came to show us the father. And now he's got these people that he's trying to reach that are lost and know they're lost. And he's got these other people that are so religious and lost and they don't know they're lost. And they're bickering there among them. And he said, I just have to let them know about the Heavenly Father and hopefully let them see their their state. And he weaves together. I believe, now I know the Holy Spirit helped him. I know the Holy Spirit gave him, uh, anointed him, Acts 10, 38, and gave him the words. And he said, I don't say anything except I hear my Father say it. I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. And so in that Moment, that intersection of Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, lost people, he was able to tell a story. And the takeaway of that is I'm prodigal, I'm, I'm lost, but there's a heavenly Father. And he said, Boy, stay off my property. No, he says, What? He's, 
He said, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you. And I pray you get that tonight. You know, we've talked about some mechanics of this and all of that, but I hope you get that tonight, that your heavenly father loves you. Are you hearing me? And he doesn't just love you when you get it all right, because here's the real truth. I doubt any one of us got it all right all day. Amen. And, and I'm, and it, maybe no one else knew. Maybe it's just that attitude inside. I'm telling myself for a moment, a parable. Driving home yesterday, bringing home Gabriel uh, from uh, cross country practice. And he had this Rubik's cube. No, it's a different story. <laughs> and there was a wreck. And it was rainy and all that, you'll remember. And there's supposedly two lanes, but you can clearly see because of the ambulance and police cars and everything else, they're working with that. And so everybody's starting to get over into one lane because you know you're not going to be on that lane. And there's people just zipping past me on the left to go on up to break line so they can get over. And I'm just going to tell them myself. I started just slamming them. No, no, I didn't. Not actually, but inside. I'll show you. You know, I thought about, I'm going to straddle the middle line. I'm going to block these rude, impatient people. Before I got home, something was wrong in my heart. Lord, I'm sorry. Gabriel didn't know. I didn't hit anybody. And I'm the pastor. But I'm not a religious professional. I'm just a son, just like you. Y'all hear me? And my heavenly father said, you're not going home, boy. I'm going to whoop you. No, it's a heavenly father. And you know what? It's, get this. Romans says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's knowing his goodness that causes us to, when we get a little tripping on ourselves or whatever else, to be able to turn around and know that I can always, always, always come home. Amen. Well, I'm going to stop right there. We're going to spend the next couple of Wednesday nights on a few of the other parables. Aren't the parables incredible? And uh, did y'all get anything at all out of tonight? <laughs>